Christ, Almighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellberg, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. We let our blessings get moldy and then call them curses. What's in a curse? At most gaming tables, they're uttered by players when critical failures pop up. But curses in DCC are an underutilized mechanic. They're not just for the shud folk. If you're looking to switch up your NPC casters to make them unpredictable, offer a touch of magic to players without overpowering the party, or even spice up your treasure halls, curses are the way to go. Welcome to this episode of Spellburn. I'm Judge Jen, and with me this evening are Judge Julian. Hello. And Judge Jeff. I'm here for the curses. And let's kick this off in the tavern. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it. A drink of your most expensive. Tavern talk. So, Julian, our last show was in front of a live audience. Gulp. Uh, anything fun since then? You know, I have mostly just been in recovery mode since uh, DCC days a couple weeks ago. Uh, Really just pretty quiet. I played uh, in John Carnes' Dark Sun Black Hack game today, which was uh, session six or seven or something like that. And uh, that's been fun, uh, periodic, monthly or so type thing. Other than that, just doing uh, Gen Con prep, trying to figure out what I'm going to do there. And um, also uh, got a new opportunity to sign up for the next round of RPG Roulette that uh, Jeff and I have done a little bit uh, with our friend Eric Larson. So that's pretty exciting. I got my ticket. Jeff, did you get a ticket? No, I did not. Ah, Tell us more. RPG Roulette. RPG Roulette is a informal kind of mini, very small con that happens in the in the sort of standard format. It happens once a month and in New the, York City. And I, I I've attended one or two in real life. Yes, and one virtually as well. And one virtually. But um, but the the. Now, I've never done the standard one, only the virtual ones, Jeff, so keep me honest here. But the format of it is that, you know, five or six people sign up for both games, both slots. So it's like an eight-hour game, mm-hmm. uh, time commitment, that is. And then you don't know who's going to GM until everybody's signed up and then it's randomly determined that you know, two different people of the group will run. One will run the first session, one will run the second session. And and everybody commits pretty much blind. It's, yeah, so basically you can't sign up to play unless you've also submitted an idea for something you would run. So everybody okay. who's signing up for it is pitching something that they might run. And then Eric either rolls a die or curates. I'm not really sure what he does. But on the back end, he somehow does something, and um, two people are chosen to run the games. Awesome! Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty nuts. Like, so it's it's kind of 
So it's it's posited as an answer to the question, how do you agree on who's going to run something or what's the setting going to be or what's the system going to be or do I want to play blah or versus blah or whatever. And instead of that, you just commit and then, you know, but you've got a pretty good selection of handpicked gamers from this list and then you go, right? So, nice. uh, yeah, so you don't pretty... know if you're running until everybody gets together. Well, no, you you know you know in advance of the day, yeah. Right? Okay. But but it's okay. after the but it's after everybody's assembled, right? Because the, like Jeff says, at some point, then he's kind of got like, okay, I know my six people, and now I need my six. You know, I don't know exactly what the magic is he does behind the scenes if it's totally random or curated or what. But yeah, but then there's a determination. That's and then fun. the fun part too is you also don't know what you're going to end up playing either. So you could end up playing any kind of a system. So you also have to be somebody who's open to: Are you going to be playing Hackmaster or are you going to be playing Monster Hearts? <laughs> yeah, totally. Or both, <laughs> nice. right? Could it be? It could be Hackmaster game one and Monster Hearts game two. Absolutely. Nice. So Jeff, I'm guessing with your summer schedule, there's no roulette for you. Um, I, I did not sign up for roulette, but it's not because of my summer schedule. I don't know. I just, I have enough going on right now. Uh, I was I've, say. I've, I've got quite a bit of gaming happening right now and I'll nice. let you know all about it, but I'll, I'll keep it clean. I won't do any cursing while mm. I tell you about it. Sorry. Dad jokes. Hey, in IRL, it's the, it's like Father's Day weekend, right? Or was that last weekend? Well, it was that was last, last weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I, I, it, was, it was like a bad dad joke. But um, anyways, so um, since we last got together, I've run two sessions of my very fast and loose uh, old school essentials game that's taking place in the Wilderlands. And uh, that's been a whole lot of fun. Um, our buddy Harrison is in that, as is Val. So we've got two people from the DCC community in my group. Uh, so that's great fun. And everybody else in the group are old New York RPG buddies of mine. Um, cool. I've also done another session of Mothership, and that should be wrapping up shortly. Uh, Sean thinks there's one session left. I have a hard time picturing us actually ending in one more session, but we'll see. And I've also done another session of Blades Against Bandwidth. And right now we are just about to go start the Emerald Enchanter adventure, mm -hmm. uh, which I have played through once. I've never run it. Um, and I played through it in like a, in like a four hour convention setting. So I don't really remember it super well. Uh, so I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that one. Hey, I got two questions for you. Is yes. it, is it Arison Unt from, from, uh, those, <laughs> you mean those guys? Yes. That guy? Yeah. Oh, excellent. That must be so fun. Okay. Good for you guys. How do you, how do you like you know, you've been playing a campaign and you're doing this thing. How do you like a kind of BX-ish type thing versus DCC? What, you know, how, what's the difference, good or bad or both or whatever? Yeah. Um, you know, I, one thing I really like about DCC that I don't get out of like a BX game, um, both as a player and as a judge, is I really like the kind of story game narrative control that players have when it comes to spending luck. Mm. Uh, that I really like. 
Um, but one, but I also, I also with with the way I approach this kind of BX OSE thing is like it's so fast and loose that most things I'm just having them like roll a D6 for and then we like go from there. Uh, so I also, I'm also uh, really attracted to the fact that like, you know, it's super unstructured and like the game's going to be whatever we want it to be. Yeah. And you drop a flying saucer or whatever you want and just make some stats and <laughs> yeah. whatever. Do you, do you, are you tempted to put a luck score in there and just say, everybody roll 3d6? That's your luck score. You can spend luck. Nah. Okay. Okay. Just curious. <laughs> When I look at those games, I also miss the luck thing. And I sometimes think, well, I could just put luck in. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, just food for that. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, although I really like the luck score, it's also fun kind of going back to not having that and kind of dealing with a, um, a stricter, um, be, being more of a slave to the die. Is is also been uh, a fun and interesting thing to go back to. Hmm. Now, Sutton, question number two is pretty hard to fill those dwarf shoes that I left behind. So, uh, what did you guys do for <laughs> guest guest character? Uh, so we now have a wizard mm. with uh, Bobo Bill's patron. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. And they have to be able to pronounce it in, able, in order to sit at the table. <laughs> Bobo Bill's. Who who is that on the on his debut? His or her debut? That was debuted by Beatty. Oh, oh God. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pull up that rerun. Okay. Yes. And we we don't we're not recording tomorrow, so our next session will be a week from tomorrow. And this is when we're recording. People listening, I, this I, yeah. we don't know when this is going to be released, so who who knows what this means? Um, but I'm not sure who our guest is going to be eight days from now. Hmm. David Beatty, Bubba Bills, God help us all. Oh yeah, enough said. <laughs> Love it. Yep. Uh, so the last two weeks, um, I've been lucky enough to get into uh, Mike Curtis's War Crawl, which some of you out in Facebook land will remember that he had a couple of funnel sessions that he was hosting. They were just open. They weren't associated with DCC days or anything like that. They culminated into, okay, the survivors of that ended up picking an alignment at the end. And my character split off and whatnot for the sake of availability. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be team law. And let me tell you, team law has some issues. <laughs> it is so hard to remember. No guys, we're lawful. We're not here to like screw somebody else or, or make other problems or, you know, just be a little chaotic sneakster about it. No, no, we, we have to do this in the sake of, the forces of law and that that's been uh, a little trying okay so um i'm super interested in this but uh, are you guys still zero level now or uh, no we leveled up to first okay. and the way mike's been doing it we get um essential essentially level points for showing up so we're now second level and we've got one more game because we played twice but we've got one more game to show up for and then we can level up to third and and so forth but he's also been really cool with okay who's your deity you pick your holy symbol you go into this or i think for someone else he actually wrote up a brand new patron wow 
because just because like holy cow because i'm mike curtis i can do that with my left hand and And, i think i'll just do lankmar with my right hand and whatever no but uh, but are you guys recaps of it um after all three games chaos versus law in the same session or is there a law session a neutral session and a Uh, chaos session or how it what how does this work thursday night friday is chaos and saturday morning is neutrality or um are you in the same adventure, like seeing each other down the hall type thing or? No, no, it's actually done as a war crawl where uh, each game equals one day in game time. So by the time I return next Thursday, there will have been two days in between. So hmm. we can, you know, request any information on things we'd like to research between now and then, or, hey, can I try to maybe uh, acquire or purchase blah, or can I talk to my patron or, you know, commune with my deity and maybe think about restructuring something. And yeah, it's been, it's been really wild to not have it completely rules as written hmm. and to have these new aspects be Inter, you know, interjected here and there but uh, after the first week uh, there were two recaps given because well things were found out and reported and one of the factions there were no witnesses and so there was no story reported back to headquarters and so we're all going hmm the heck did chaos do <laughs> wow okay then so are you so are you what i'm trying to understand is how do the teams relate to each other though like are you in a shared setting mm-hmm, kind of i mean i think we're we're kind of going against npcs of the other factions hmm. i i don't know exactly how it's working in mike's head hmm. but there's so there are so many details and it's been so in depth in the world building level that has gone into this. I will not be surprised if he starts up a Patreon or something when this is over. Yeah, I know that he's been recording the sessions too. Oh, cool. So here's a TC little tidbit for you. Huh. Um, I also got to start in the Shutter Mountains campaign that Andy Markham just started up, which is Andy really 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 fun. Um, boy, he is. He has a different style to running a campaign. We had maybe one combat in the whole session last night because every character gets screen time. Hmm. And I mean, admittedly, during a funnel, that that can get a little bit trying. But as people are getting whittled down and getting less and less screen time, and <laughs> but it's pretty proportionate per character. So I, I appreciate that. Um and I've been thinking about throwing my hat in the ring. A friend of mine in Chicago is running TTRPG Pickup Con. It's a free online gaming convention. Uh, he's going to be doing it June 11th and 12th. And it's completely free. And he's just, hey, send send the stuff. Send what you want to do. And he's doing it all on his end. I don't know what the secret sauce is or whatnot. But everything's free. And... I would encourage anybody who wants to get more DCC out in the world to go ahead and throw it out there. You said you said June, but I think you mean July. 11. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Depending was, on when you hear this, because folks listening, it might be July 10th that they hear it, or it might be July 3rd or something. 
my my brain was rebelling against reading seven eleven and seven twelve. <laughs> <laughs> totally get it. No, Sorry. I just want to because listeners might want to know, yeah. might want to show up and get in a gen game for sure. And this actually um, leads me to ask kind of a, a, a devil's advocate question here. Uh, so with all of this free online gaming that's going on right now between TTRBG Pickup Con and Roulette, and just like a lot of us are just like playing in lots of free online games. I'm curious, Julian, like what is it that's inspiring you to like be involved in Gen Con and like these paid conventions right now, which are just going to be virtual? I, you know, that's a fair question, I guess. I mean, roulette is a pretty closed circuit because it's just a run by Eric and for, I don't know, 10 or 20 friends or whatever. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Gen Con is, is borderline free. I mean, it, it's pr- the badge is cheap, I believe, like five or 10 bucks or something. Okay, and um, the and the, I thought it was free all the way around. I've already got mine. I thought a oh, lot of it. it. I, I anyway. Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't know. And I, and I would have I should have looked it up for the question, but um, <laughs> maybe we we yeah. might do it. We, we'll do it as we record, actually, just to give you the answer. But um, but I'm assuming that it's fairly low cost. I mean, let's just say usually I spend several hundred bucks to fly there. Then I spend mm-hmm. several hundred bucks or maybe significantly more to stay there. The housing then I, is the crazy part. And then you and spend then the drinking. hundreds <laughs> of dollars eating and drinking and hanging out. Then you spend $100 of Goodman Games and other stuff. So, you know, spend 20 bucks registering and getting in a few games is almost nothing. You know, I'm a little privileged to be in a reasonably financial sound way, but... um. You know, but it to me it feels I lost your job. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. No, I'm I'm untouched by yeah. COVID. So I mean, and I realize, and certainly that's a lucky place to be in a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, even then, it's ten or twenty bucks. It's not uh, it's not a huge outlay. I mean, DCC days was a little bit of money, but it was you know also. Um, I mean the the same devil's advocate question could be fo- put forth about things like DCC day or Cyclops Con, and yeah, for I think sure. The, the, bottom line to that is i want to support my friends like brendan i want to make sure he's got a home you know i i think for me it's the you know uh jeff the the only answer i have for you is um do i want a game five times a month or three times a month because I, I don't <laughs> i don't really have any and with gen con it's a sentimental choice i miss gen con and by the way friday night at gen con this year it was my 50th birthday so I was kind of looking forward to, you know, doing that. Maybe. And yeah, but uh, so that's, you know, so it's going to happen virtually in some way, shape or form. At least I'm going to run a some kind of July 31st game with with people and we'll have fun. You're old. I know. <laughs> I know, man. But Gary's older than me, by the way. Gary, if you're okay. listening to this, Aww. you're you're much older than me. No. <laughs> So with that, uh, speaking of Gary, uh, maybe we should summon some email. I call upon the flame to summon you. Who delivered the message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon email. All right, Julian, looks like the first one's for, for you. It may or may not be from Gary. It is. It does not look. This does not look like Gary's uh, penmanship. But um, I will. I'll take it up uh, and in good spirits. So, uh, R. Donahue writes. 
I've been catching up on your podcast after discovering DCC. Great stuff. I started looking for something else when 4th and 5th edition weren't doing it for me or my group and discovered OSR Games. I was given the Hot Springs Island books as a gift recently, and it has me excited to run a game based there. I've seen that people run HSI in DCC, and I found a link to HSI conversions in the episode 72 notes. Thank you, Julian, for doing great show notes where we link. Oh, okay. No, he doesn't. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever talked at length about HSI or have plans to. I've tried to find what I can online about people's experiences running it. Slowly getting through the 70s as we speak. Um, Judge R. Donahue, 1412. Uh, And I I have not much to say here, Jen. I know you're familiar with uh, Hot Springs, I believe. I'm actually scribbling a note to myself because that sounds like a really great topic that um, maybe we should grab John Hammersley mm-hmm. for. I was going to um, suggest that. I know. Oh, yeah. You were in. <laughs> you, you, yeah. Yeah. Mwop. Yes. <laughs> uh, you were in the, the game there. Uh, I was all set to be in one of the next games, you know, this year at Gary Con before everything kind of went flopsy. Um but I know that he's done a lot with DCC and Hot Springs Island and, you know, the, the dark side. And Andy Markham used it as well, but more in a BX setting. But he did it in such a way that the field guide to Hot Springs Island was doled out, you know, a page here or a page there as they discovered new information. And it was like session 40 or something before the players actually got to hold the book. So to me, that's just astounding and, and wonderful GM ship. Is that a word? It is now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a couple people out there that I know have actually used it as opposed to fawning over it. Um, unfortunately, my free time being what it is, I never got my campaign up and running or anything like that, but it's definitely on the list for when the FLGS opens again. Yeah, and I have played in one session of John Hammersley's um, Hot Spring Island for DCC, and it was a blast. John is an incredible judge, and it's a it's a it's a very cool setting. I have the books; they're gorgeous. I have not read through them. Um, because I have, and John nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, it's one of those things where it's like, I buy these beautiful, expensive objects and put them on my shelves. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to read it unless I decide to run it because I might play in it. But then that also takes me back to like being like, okay, well then why did I buy this if I'm not going to read it? Um, so <laughs> Dang it, your logic hurts, Jeff. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a painful mirror. But, yes. um, but yeah, so that's my way of saying I have nothing else to add to this conversation. Okay. Well, Thanks for that email, our Donahue. Looks like our next one is pretty brief from simply Tom. Greetings, Burninators. I love the DCC approach to dragons, especially the whole it's not a dragon, it's the dragon mentality. Have you used a dragon in your games? And if so, how did it go? Did you put anything memorable in the dragon's horde? What level do you think a party should be before you drop one on them? Are there any published adventures that include a dragon? On a side note, in my last email, I'd asked about the DCC Nunchaku, and shortly afterwards, they turned up on the Goodman Games Warehouse finds. 
Uh, so far, I have neither given myself a concussion nor caused any significant damage with them, though I may have bruised, uh, burned some luck points in the process. Game on. Um, yeah, you guys want to tackle that? Well, I'd start by saying that their character should be at least zero level before they encounter <laughs> a dragon. Yeah. At yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. Bravo. <laughs> I think we need a I think we need a dragon-based funnel just because of this oh email, actually. I'll do it. Actually, I'll do there, it. Is, there is one in not in Kansas anymore. Hmm. There you go. Um, oh, cool. There's more than one in varying states of of aliveness um <laughs> i was i was racking my brain on this one trying to figure out where there's some kind of bog standard dragon there's a dragon in brendan's game that has never been published yet symptom of the universe there's a dragon okay Ah, but I don't okay. think I've played in that at various, uh, well, at, at GameWorldCon or GaryCon uh, several years back, but I don't think he's, uh, I don't know if it's in the pipeline for um, publication. Grimtooth's Museum, you do find, um, was it Grimscales or Grimscales Jr.? Hmm. And then both of those, both of them make an appearance if you, inc- if you wish to include them going through the uh, Trapsylvania setting book. Cool. And I know that I've rolled up a dragon on the random dragon table uh, to include in a DCC campaign I was running, but we never got to a point where the dragon actually was able to appear. Um, although right now in the weekly OSE game that I'm running, uh, we have uh, four slumbering dragons um, in, the, in, a, in the belly of a mountain. And these first level characters are well aware that there's a huge treasure hoard down there, uh, but they're also aware that they are first level characters, and those are four dragons. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. By all means, try to bait your players with it. But if the if those players take the bait, uh, they know what they got in for. Oh, Jeff, you reminded me. I'm I'm excited. Um, I actually did kind of roll one up. I picked one that was a little closer to like just half or twice the party's level as opposed to 18 times their level um, and created it as a sea dragon. Oh, cool. Uh, But it was only spotted. The campaign died like that session. (laughs) Like curses. Yeah. Hey, funny that. Um, But yeah, it it can be done. uh, It's for... I mean, you could drop one on them if you don't like them on day one. <laughs> Hence the funnel, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's and there's tiny dragons. There's pseudo-dragon familiars. We had one of my oh, yeah. uh, DCC days games. We had a guy roll up a pseudo-dragon familiar, so that might qualify. Um, yeah, I think we that should was like, our... roll up roll up familiars for ourselves one show. Oh, that would be fun, actually. <laughs> yeah. But I always get a miniature woman. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then her attitude is just kind of ends up being negative and then it's anyway so um mm-hmm. uh this is a great there is a dragon episode of spellburn i believe way back in the job era and yeah, jeffrey so. era right um it's yeah, it's, we rolled one up. it's an interesting thing because there's so much fun you can have even subverting dragon tropes but i don't feel i feel like dcc doesn't go there um typically maybe maybe because conan doesn't fight dragons right i mean and i think it's also like it's it's a whole like it's not 
an orc, it's the orc. Like there's there's this like there's such an there's such an emphasis put on having unique monsters in the game that I think that even though like it's the dragon, not a dragon, people are still I think somewhat hesitant to put e- put even put an a dragon in a DCC game because if you're going to have a big powerful crazy creature, it should be some big powerful crazy creature that nobody's ever heard of before. Oh, you know, yeah. I did a homebrew adventure a long time ago, a crawl jammer adventure, and um, I put a, it was a serpentine dragon, like very, basically like a giant snake with a breath weapon, if I recall correctly. And uh, yeah, it was a, nearly a TPK. The cat person class la- lived and everybody else died, as I recall. That was one of my mm-hmm. few games I've run that was actually a TPK, um, or, or very close to it anyway. But gosh, I can't think of many published no, adventures. So the, the, needless to say, the field is wide open. Yeah, even in Lankmar, they're just sea serpents. Yeah, it's not, not a it's not a library and Robert Howard and um, or you know HPL or it's not very sword and sorcery. No, which is it's very Saint, epic fantasy. Well, yeah, Saint Clair was more sea serpent too. Or uh, I'm sorry, not Saint Clair, Lynn Carter. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, lots of lots of fun thoughts thrown out there. Um, Jeff, you want to do this one or do you want to scrap it for next time? Uh, no, sure. Let's do it. (laughs) So we've got an email from our buddy DM Kojo. And I feel like Jen, uh, is trolling me by asking me to be the one to read this one because it's all about clerics. Uh, but (laughs) anyways, so DM Kojo says, greeting burners. I've been giving some thought lately to clerical magic of late, uh, wait, lately. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and came up with a few questions about it. One. Do you limit which spells a cleric can cast in any way, or do you give them full freedom to choose any spells that they are high enough level to cast from the spell list in the core book? I typically have the player roll randomly for what spells they have access to as they gain in levels. And from that point on are the spells that they are limited to when they pray for new ones. This makes them similar to wizards and elves and that they are limited to a more narrow list which also begs the question that if you use the purple sorcerer grimoire generator for a cleric and you do offer them the full list of spells every day of prayer, do you print off spell sheets for all of the divine magic spells that they're high enough level to cast? This could raise my paper expenditures dramatically. Um, (laughs) Do you want to address that one or continue? (laughs) Um, I'm going to go ahead and continue and then we can chat. And then finally, number two, how do you have clerics go about getting their new spells? I found it interesting that it isn't clearly defined in the rules. In the class description on pages 28 to 30, it only says that clerics call upon the favor of their gods to cast spells. There isn't any mention of praying for new spells daily, as most fantasy games dictate. However, in the magic section on page 110, it states that regaining spells depends on the magic in question, and that divine magic can be gained after resting and praying to the cleric's god as agreed between the player and judge based on the nature of the character's magic. This seems to leave it open to a lot of interpretation and customization. So how do the judges, Jay, handle clerics and divine magic? Thanks, DM Kojo. Wow. Cool question. Um, I'll take Which it. Which one? <laughs> well, both both are pretty good. I'll I'll just jump in first and say, um, how I do it is I 
Uh, I do limit which they can cast, but I let them, I let cleric, you know, the players of the clerics choose which spells they want to know. So when you um, typically, unless I hand you a pregen, in which case it's up to purple sorcerer and you get the spells (laughs) that you know on the character sheet, other than otherwise, I would, um, but if you're playing, if we're playing in a campaign like Andre, my friend Andre has been doing in City of the Damned, uh, I have let him, you know, choose, make a case to his deity for what spells he wants to learn. And if they support the the goddess's, um, you know, goals, uh, then, you know, then he learns those spells, which is, uh, you know, kind of a no-brainer because he's, you know, they're, they're simpatico, obviously, anyway. So, and that would be the case 99% of the time. So it's not like, so, so on the one hand, he gets to choose which ones he learns and knows from his God and they're in his quiver. Right. But on the other hand, it's not like he can cast any cleric spell of that level. Anytime he can't just be like, Oh, you know, and suddenly I need food of the gods and I'm going to, you know, like, no, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, as far as getting new spells, Honestly, there's so much cool stuff you can do. And every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, I could make them pray and do all this stuff and spend money and go haggle and build a shrine and na 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 na. And I never do it, right? I just, you know, when you, <laughs> you just don't, you just don't have yeah. time to, I, I, I'd, I'd love to. Um, I just don't. I just never have time, and and we sort of maybe maybe the players do does a cool thing like Andre and that campaign has done some really cool stuff and gotten a little extra luck or whatever favor whatever you want to call it because he has he chooses to hey I'm building a shrine and it's going to look like this and here's a, you know so great um, that's pretty cool but um, yeah I I don't have that I mean I'm trying to manage freaking six characters and their backup characters and a giant crab wizard. And, you know, I just don't have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) And I will also uh, quickly answer Kojo's uh, questions Uh, for the first one. Yeah, I do limit it as well. Uh, I mean, when I look at table one, five, it says spells known by level. It tells you that it's, this is how many spells they know. So I feel like it's pretty clearly written in the rules that clerics only know a certain number of spells. It's not like D and D where you just prepare the spells you want from the full cleric list at first level. There's only four spells, you know, um, that's, that's the way that I do it. Uh, but just like the way that I think it's dumb that a wizard can't heal you of your ouchie. I also think it's dumb that a God of, of a fire God can't give you burning hands, for example. So one of the things that I'm happy to do is throw in um, spells from any kind of a spell list, divine or not, if it fits the flavor of that god. And an example I can think of is Volrath, the cleric, the cleric of Bobugbabils in my DCC NYC meetup group. Um, I allowed him to have some of the patron, some of the Bobugbabils patron spells as some of his cleric spells. So he could take like tadpole trans- uh, uh, transformation as one of his clerical spells. That makes perfect sense. That's a really good Especially idea, but um, heresy yeah. burn the witch. You must be <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't say that in a book. No, um, I'm actually with the guys on this one. You know, four spells when you're starting out, unless maybe you have additional points in personality. Yeah, that's nice. That helps you cast more. Uh, it helps you cast better. Um, it doesn't increase the number of your spells 
as where an intelligence boost would help the wizard. Sorry. You also get turn on holy, lay on hands, and divine aid in addition to all of this, plus now the the option of the canticles. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you kind of got enough spells there, dude. Um, Usually I'll just roll it ahead of time or pre-gen it. Um, One of the things... Mike just did for us was we would roll two and then we would get to pick two off of the cleric list. So that was kind of cool. Um, as for regenerating them at the end of the day, and I, yeah, just like all the other fantasy games dictate, um, you need a little time to maybe meditate or call upon your God to get refreshed. I'm not going to metagame it. I'm also not going to be meticulous about the minutia of how many hours a night you're sleeping Mm -hmm. or how many hours you're sleeping versus doing all of this because a lot of people do that in like AD&D and I just don't have patience. And you saying that reminds me that I actually didn't answer his second question. So, you know, how does how does a cleric get new spells? Uh, to quote the great MC Hammer, that's why we pray. <laughs> you pray for those spells. And with that, nice. uh, feedback, hit our mailbox some more at theband at spellburn.com. And uh, let's kick this curse puppy. Let the combat begin! Why behold our hero? Oh, so you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty deeds. Okay, on to the meat. What is a curse? What do we already know about curses? So from the core rules, we know we've got the cleric spell curse. Level two. <laughs> we'll try this one. Uh, uh, without reading over every single result... A cleric can cast this and affect anywhere from one to a thousand people and even their descendants. It can be for as little as a minus one luck penalty for 24 hours or go up to minus four luck plus drop three other stats, inflict physical or mental limitations like blindness or uh, deafness uh, until certain conditions are met. The part that I really like from the text, though, is that this spell must be used carefully, for it is considered a powerful act of intervention by one's deity. Uttering severe curses, such as those that affect entire families or communities, or extend across generations, is considered a sin. Jeff, field that one. (laughs) Well, one of the things I love to do when I look at a spell is I like to look at its very lowest result and its very highest result, because I feel like that's where you really get the flavor, you know, and at your lowest result, you get a 14 on the spell check. Okay, your character has a minus one luck for 24 hours. Sure, that you're you, you get, you're you're a little cursed, whatever. Um, and I like that because a minus one luck is a lot easier than saying you've got a minus one on all of your rolls. People are going to immediately forget that, like that 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 that's 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 clunky. Uh, but just a minus one luck for that's 24 fair. hours, that's very easy to to keep track of. But then we get up to 34 plus, and it's like a thousand up to a thousand people are affected by this curse. And it like gives everybody these thousand people minus four luck, a minus two penalty to three of their stats. 
And you can set one specific limitation, such as you will not sleep until blah, blah, blah happens, or you um, will not be able to walk again, or you will all be blind until you have made up for this great wrongdoing or something. My question for you guys, let's say you've got a character who gets a max result on a curse, and we've got this 34 plus curse, and your character, and the, the, your, your player character that you're you're judging this game for. Let's say it's me. Okay, I'm the guy because I'm always the jerk who gets the max spell result. So let's say it's me, <laughs> and I get that thirty as a wizard, plus. of course. As a wizard, uh, <laughs> Daog the Blue gets a thirty-four plus result on Curse, and I say I want everyone in this in this city to uh, they will not be able to sleep again until they have built me a proper wizard's tower. Uh, and it needs to be one in my image, a thousand feet tall, made 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 out of the, the finest of sapphires, because uh, I'm Dayog the Blue. Now, let's say if they can't sleep again until this happens, now, you know, if we're being a little realistic, you're going to die from sleep deprivation in like, what, a week? Um, so <laughs> is, everybody, is everybody in town going to be dead in a week? Because... Uh, I- would you, that, would you judge it that way, or would they be like mystically alive until it's done? No, I would say that's a funnel adventure where <laughs> thousands of zero-level guys are trying to kill Dayog the Blue because they want to go to bed. I mean, literally, that's how I would adjudicate that one. Um, or really you, or you may kill them, or you may kill... I mean, it kind of depends on what suits the, the campaign or the game at a given time. Yeah, Certainly, well, they will try to kill you. That's a given, but... Um, does it kill them or do they magically live to build the tower? That's kind of a flavor question depending on the, the game, not to cop out. Um, I would, I would make a, a save for them. And if I roll a nat 20, screw you, Dayog. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I fail, well, yeah, we're, we're back to what Julian said. Cause most adventure premises are, are built on curses of this nature. And, help us end this curse it's interesting the the best way to do that is to kill the person who cursed you (laughs) for sure but do we know that but that i guess that takes us to a bigger question when when you're running a game when the wizard dies does the spell's effect end uh, that's interesting because in, in appendix c it does right because they say right i mean and that that's, that's actually where i was going next yeah, yeah 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 but i don't think the spell says it a a curse can be cured by slaying the original invoker fulfilling some specific terms of the curse nullifying the curse with a more powerful blessing or in some cases by acquiring a different competing curse, which counters the term <laughs> of the first. Yeah. Cool. Oh God. So so uh, Julian comes in and says, "No, you must build me a tower instead." <laughs> uh, well, fight it out amongst yourselves, guys. We're building something for Julian. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about the fact that you can just kill off the wizard and have that curse end. I know it says that, but like you know, the the place that I go with, uh, the place that I go to. Well, and, like, and to be clear, that that's under the appendix C curses. Oh no, that's I, not necessarily the spell. A hundred percent. Okay, but like I, I, I think back to all of these like great like nineteen sixties like gothic horror films, like Mario Bava's Black Sunday. You know, it starts with like Barbara Steele, and she is 
being burned burned as a witch and she curses the entire town and all of their descendants um so like i feel like that is like such like a, a rich part of like uh of like horror tropism that like the the witch who is who is like like breathing out a curse with her last dying breath that like i because of that i wouldn't i wouldn't think that a curse should be able to be ended by killing someone well there we have uh something that yeah, there was one in, it was the 998th Wizard's Conclave. A creature is killed, and the last thing it does is it curses the person who killed him. Thereafter, the souls of everyone this person has killed torments him so greatly that he cannot sleep, and it ruins the chance of recovering health, stats, or lost spells, and all of this. Um one of the solutions is to resurrect the creature he killed that cursed him in the first place. Because the whole curse is about, you know, so long as I lie dead. So, hi, you're you're not necessarily <laughs> dead anymore. Um, you're now technically undead. And one of the things I love about that curse is that there's so many nitpicky things that you can do to try to rules lawyer your way out of it. Yeah. Or even you leave that the you leave that to resurrect him, prop him up into a yeah. throne because now he's not laying dead, he's sitting dead. Exactly. <laughs> and and there's something else about like the plane that you're on. And you know, if I go invisible, I can break the plane that I'm on technically. Yeah. And but- like I'm gonna hire my yeah. uh, couple guns from Brinkman, Brinkman, and Goad Curse Lawyers, <laughs> and, and we're gonna just get these guys going. No, um, I mean it's Gygaxian wish writing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it very much is. Your curses need to be written as clearly and concisely as your Gygaxian wish. But oh, but I would oh, say yes. but I would say to to um, first of all, Jeff, the the thing you raise about the curse with the dying breath is uh, is hundred percent true, and and so obviously you can't. I mean, it's just inherently true that you can't have it invalidated when they die, when they curse you with their dying breath. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's just stands to reason and you're a hundred percent right because it's very appendix N and it should just be as appendix N the, the appendix N card really trumps the rest of DCC rules. Right. I mean, you should go with what's cool. And if they try to like, well, we dress a guy up like this guy and we put him on the throne and it's not really says Khan, but you know, <laughs> no, like <laughs> you legally change a guy's name to says Khan, then we kill him. Then we him up the throne. like, no, no, it's not. Oh, I love it. I love it. No. So in in the show notes for this episode, I've actually got a section that's called "Get It Off Me." Uh, so you know, besides a remove curse spell, yeah, how how can things like that be removed? That you bring up a really good question. Um, I did find a couple of things like some demons could potentially cancel curses for you or mm. restore uh, good fortune or end bad luck. Uh, so, uh, there are a number of patrons that in their invoke patron results, as you get towards the bottom, the more powerful results of that, uh, they will remove curses for you. 
So if you don't have a cleric in your party, you know, there are some options for mm, things like that. For sure. Now, I've got a question for you guys. So let's say I've got a character and I've got a curse and I want to get rid of it. Um, now, yes, there's a cleric spell that does that. But would you allow a cleric to attempt to do that with divine aid? Oh, yeah. 100%. Divine aid, yes. Lay on hands, too. no. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think divine aid would be would be reasonable. And, and if your cleric is of shul, uh, depending on their disapproval that they've racked up throughout the day, uh, they actually must remove a curse involving the moon as one of their stipulations before they can return to regular casting. So, mm. you know, lycanthropy, sure. But I got something for that. <laughs> but the curse, you know, the curse is... Uh, You know, when you look through the rules, the curse rules are a little hazy and ambiguous, but it's kind of, I think, because the curse is actually often the springboard of the adventure, right? The reason you're doing something, you know, there's a curse on the sword and to use this magical sword, you must slay the demon hag that blah, 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 and then free the sword from the curse. Now you have a magic item or whatever it is. And so... Oftentimes, it's more of a trope than a game mechanic, right? It, it's been a little. It's a little confusing when you read the spell and you read Appendix C, and then you read the witch section. You kind of need to take them all in together and go, okay, I guess Appendix C is really for the witch in the men and magicians in the monster section, and the spell is kind of its own thing. I mean, it's related and they're similar, but it's kind of its own right. deal you know and that that's honestly what spurred me towards this uh combination of that and starting shutter mountains where curses and folk magic are pretty prevalent and they expand upon the curses we get in appendix c but very few people realize there's a men and magicians section in this core book and curses are abilities that usually don't need roles to activate they include dcs for saves but otherwise a witch can just curse you i'll admit i i did not remember that there was a witch in um that there was like a witch stat block in the dcc core book until you brought that up before recording so that's cool well and it's a really good divider between players curse when players want to curse people it works like a second level cleric spell but when monsters do it they don't have to roll for it and it's all a uniform dc 16 save i mean it doesn't it shouldn't work uh, for monsters sometimes sometimes um i mean as far as the core rules go yeah well, as, as you get into some of the other uh sources here a lot of people have written in their own stipulations for it, their own mechanics that have to be upheld before the curses go off. Um, I mean, if you're just taking it from the book, you've got minor, moderate, and major curses. And that means minor curse, that's all somebody that's four hit dice or lower can issue. Moderate's going to be up to eight hit dice. And the major stuff like the Curse of Locusts or Curse of Death is going to be something super high, nine hit dice or, or above. And that, that's a pretty high monster to come across. Monster, witch, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also got, in the same book, mind you, we have a level two patron spell from the Three Fates, the Curse of Moira. And again, taking Jeff's 
highest and lowest results there. The lowest is minus two to saves, attacks, and AC for X number of rounds. And every time you're hit for damage, you take an extra D4 damage. That's the base result. Um, The highest is a minus 10 to your saves, your AC. Anytime you try to attack that caster or their allies for a lot more rounds. Anytime you're hit for damage, you take an additional 1d20 damage. And you die of natural causes at the end of the next hour. (laughs) That's the best part. Slaying the caster doesn't end the spell, but you can remove that natural causes clause with a fort save, which would be a base of DC 18. Wow. Hmm. Um, I mean, digging into it, you've got uh, the undead crit table can also include a curse. Uh, special attacks for either demons or dragons, as we were discussing earlier. Uh, they can instill minor curses, giving you minus one to luck and to all of your rolls for certain amounts of time. So there's a lot involving curses, even in the core book, that a lot of us have either not understood that it's there or just forgot or just haven't been using it. Now, I would love to circle back to something real quick, because one of the things that I've noticed as a player is that DCC judges adjudicate divine aid really differently from one table to the next. And I get it because it's not super, it's not super clear (laughs) in the rules, like what kind of a, um, what kind of a DC challenge you should be looking at. But if you've got a player who is trying to remove a curse using divine aid, what DC are you using? I have a number in my head. I would say it would depend on the level of curse. Is it minor, moderate, or major? What kind of DCs are you looking at for minor, moderate, moderate, and major? Probably I'd go uh, 12, 15, 20. Okay. I guess I'm Because a major curse, nine hit dice, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that's major. So I would say probably DC 20 for a major. Interesting. I was thinking I was actually going to be on the more um, generous side, because for me, I would say DC 20 across the board, regardless of the kind of level of curse. And my the way I'm looking at mm-hmm. it is like a, a minor curse has less of an effect and a major curse has more of an effect. But just I just I'm just looking for a 20 to get rid of the curse, regardless of like how big the effect is. What do you okay, think, Julian? Because uh, I know a lot of judges, they go up to like, I want a 32 on your divine aid or something. Well, I mean, so hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of permutations um, that you could work through. I mean, if it's a player cast curse, I think you should have to beat the spell check that the player cast it at, right? Um, so if it's, it was a spell check 16, then it should be a, a divine aid 16. And I mean, sure. I, you know, DCC typically uses that as a. I mean, if they use um, like the spell curse. You're, lo- but you're looking. As opposed to a curse first. You're looking yeah. at a wizard curse. You're looking at a witch curse, demon curse, uh, et cetera, yes. probably more. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, I, um, so, so I think divine aid says 18 or higher. Um, in the cleric rules in the in the core book, um, just as well, a, it it says that um, simple requests like lighting a candle would be a DC ten, and an extraordinary request would be DC eighteen DC eighteen or higher. 
Well, this would, I, I think for me, it would come into extraordinary. Sure. Um, uh, so I would start there and I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to keep it around 18 unless it is by a major God, a G A W D God, you know, or, or major D. I mean, you know, it'd have to be a pretty hardcore personage for me to think that it's going to be way over an 18. Now, what if it was by a major goad? And by a major goad, I don't think they, I think they're <laughs> all pretty minor. Go with the 32. I think they're pretty minor, the goads. <laughs> wow, we have totally different sides of that yeah. uh, Now, to, to, to put things in perspective for you, most of them have that flat willpower save DC of 16. Um, I found the details in one of the Sanctum Scorum episode guides, uh, number 29 for Creep Shadow. Uh there are actually two major curses written up with a lot of detail to them. Like, unlike most, you know, the strength of this one varies with the witch's level of devotion to the task. In this case, the witch makes a curse check, D16 plus perception bonus, and the resulting number is the target number for the will save mm. to avoid being caught under the witch's power. And it's a major curse because the subjects then, you know, there for every whim of the witch until um, the mirror that she used, because it's curse of the captive reflection. Um, the witch carries the mirror around with her and that person will do whatever she says, whenever she says it, unless you break that mirror. Good for her. <laughs> cool like curse her. actually yeah and the other one is the curse of the mason's knot where you have to measure the shadow of the intended victim with a string with a length of string and then put the string in a box and place it inside a wall and give it the cask of amontillado treatment basically <laughs> and mm. uh, that one you know there's a couple of checks involved and the curse kills its victim in 40 days. The only way to break that is to somehow locate the box and break it out of the homemade tomb that it's been placed in before those 40 days run out. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a cool idea. You know, I mean, which, which, which are the, these two examples bring up the real thing, which is, so in the witch section of the men's and magician men and magicians, mm -hmm. it, it gives the kind of default. We default to a DC 16. And, okay. and of course, in the, if you cast it as a player character, then you have your curse role, you have your spell check role and you would save, you know, monsters or whatever, save against that. But uh, just like dragons, right? If you're going to take the time to write your own curse, then it's up to you. Then the writer decides. And if you say it's an 18 or a 14 or what have you, then it's an 18 or 14 or what have you. Yeah. Like, at the, you know, and that's what's great about DCC, right? There, you're not fighting against a rule. The rule is in the witch section so that the judge who picks up the men and magicians and throws a witch in there and is running from the seat of his pants can just go, uh, I don't know, Dayog, it's a DC 16. She looks at you and points her finger and says, you with the weird beard, you, you know, are <laughs> cursed to uh, 
grow hair from every pore in your skin until such time as you shave my chin or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) That's probably not the best curse, but, um, (laughs) you know, it would make grooming a hassle and, you know, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, but I mean, if you're going to take that minor curse, minor, moderate, I don't know, but it would, you know, if you're going to take the time to do it, you customize it, whatever the hell way you want. And, you know, that's the way DCC should be, right? Is, is that you, you can always take the default and you can always do your own thing. Dragons, curses, demons, what have you. Spells as well. A hundred percent. You know, it's like um, very much kind of core to the DCC spirit is taking it and making it your own. And I think looking through the Gong Farmer's Almanacs also really shows us that curses are a really core part of that. Because once Jen um, suggested this topic, I went ahead and opened up my compiled Gong Farmer's Almanacs. And when I look at the 2015 one, if I just do a control F looking for the text, there are 60 instances of the word curse in 2015, 71 instances in 2016, 54 <laughs> in 2018, 58 in 2019. It's like the, you, you can't escape the word curse, like, you know, cursed swords, cursed locations. Um, there's the, there's a Farmer's Almanac class where you can play a sage who's got a cursed die. You know, it's like curses are such a part of kind of like the core of what we're playing in. Well, and don't they go back to the Appendix N backstories as well? 100%. I mean, they, they fit in so perfectly there. What I really like is that they're alternatives to spells. And as Dak tells us in Crawl number three, any number of NPC spellcasters can cast spells or cast curses or whatever the hell you want them to cast. Um, if you're still not sure... Um, I mean, you've seen curses in action. You've seen the items uh, in The One Who Watches From Below that ends up with a mask being on your face and you are nothing but eyeballs. <laughs> you've seen the the Widow's Curse in Doom of the Savage Kings. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, if you've played anything revolving around the Carnival of the Damned, you've been subjected to at least... Four. I mean, <laughs> and speaking of GFA curses, John Hirschberger wrote his uh, D50 cursed magic trinkets. That's the one. Should I roll up a cursed magic trinket and see which yes. one we've been cursed with? I think for each of us, I think we should each get a cursed magic trinket. Okay, perfect. So, Jen, you're getting 27. Uh, Jen gets the jug of poisons. That, that's, the magic- that's Florian the elf, right? Florian the Elf gets uh, the jug of poisons. This magical vessel appears to be a normal-looking whiskey jug. However, unlike an alchemy jug, this jug does not pour forth a variety of liquids upon command. Rather, this jug will transform water up to one gallon into various types of poison if left in the jug overnight. No additional components or ingredients are required for this transformation. That's actually kind of a cool... I was going to say, this actually sounds like a very helpful item. I, I always forget, is Florian a wizard or an elf? Is, is she? Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what does Baba Yaga get? Baba Yaga. Uh, Infantino the Carmine. <laughs> okay. That's my, that's my wizard name. Um, oh, I just lost the page. Uh, Infantino the Carmine, you're getting 08. And wait, where did that just go? Oh, that's fine. Okay, hold on. <laughs> okay here we go uh you 
are getting the brazier of noxious aromatics. Mm. This magical device appears to be a normal holder for burning coals or incense or making sacrifices. But when a fire is started within the brazier, the burning coals or incense will give off large clouds of dark smoke, which contain noxious fumes that will render all within the cloud cover nauseous to the point of vomiting and losing consciousness. Mm. The fire and smoke will continue until the combustible fuel is consumed. Remove curse will squelch the burning fuel and render those subject to the noxious fumes merely weak and needing rest. Hmm. And for the record, when I was 10 years old and I had my advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition uh, books, I totally thought these were braziers. (laughs) <laughs> Magical braziers. I was very confused. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> a lot of, what was all, what's all this coal and fire doing in here? <laughs> oh, look, it's a magical brazier of noxious aromatics. Okay. <laughs> and Dayog the Blue. What is Dayog getting? 11. I get the chest of the money changer. This small wooden and metal chest appears to have been the property of one of the city-state's prominent money changers. However, it is really the creation of an ingenious and greedy wizard whose ambitions led him to the four corners of the known world. Coins (laughs) placed in the chest are, for a 12 to 24-hour period, converted to another form of currency as directed by the chest's owner, gold to copper, copper to silver, silver to gold, etc., after the conversion period expires, however, the coins previously changed will revert to their original form. Mm. The wizard that created this item became immeasurably wealthy and wanted on three continents. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, hey, Jeff, you got your dice out. Yes. Uh, why don't you give me a D16 and a... Uh, go with a D8. Okay. For my G16, I got a 13. Okay. And for my 8, I got a 3. Okay, that's not bad. Um, I was checking out the uh, the perils of cinder claws, which is something Daniel J. Bishop, Daniel J. Bishop did for Purple Duck some time back. Um, and a cursed mace is in your stocking, Dayog. Uh, <laughs> it's not terribly cursed, though. It only has a minus one penalty. Okay. The downside is um, there. there's a... Uh, God, the the bookkeeping on that would actually be on my end. That sucks. Um, but it's really interesting because if you have already been deemed naughty on on Santa's magical scroll, you would have a penalty, a further penalty to that roll, which shores it up from a D thirty to uh, well, as I just did to a D eight. Some of my favorite. Results on that is the item attracts monsters, or it actually gives you a, a inverse positive to your fumble rolls. Oh. It, it increases the rolls when you fumble with it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Others, <laughs> others give you a penalty to your luck. And yeah, just, I mean, those are just some of the cursed items. Um, so we touched on the chain coffin. We've talked about some of the published modules that are out there. Um, Dying Earth, of course, is going to have its own flavor of curses because, well, there's 
so much magic there. It makes Lankmar look like a... And how can you not? Like, some of my absolute favorite parts of uh, Eyes of the Overworld are, are all the, like, mm-hmm. this, the, the, the hilarious curse negotiations with Kugel. I, I just, I love that stuff. It's so funny. Absolutely. What I'm realizing, after running the, um, the Empire of the East funnel and, and level one module so much for DCC days... The Dying Earth setting really offsets that because in Empire of the East, you don't get a whole lot of florid magic. You don't get that that just over-the-top whimsy. Yeah. And and there's not really a whole lot of combative magic. So this is, this is exciting to me. Um, now, most recently, just in February... Um, our friend Jose from, geez, back in Gong Farmers 18, uh, shared a website with us with a fairy table of uncanny curses and maledictions. So if you want to pull a 16 on that, we can give Julian a, a healthy little curse. Oh, yeah. hey Don't curse. 16. Yeah. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Infantino the Carmine. Right. Oh, uh, wow. The boon of clay. Ah, your shape is fluid and usually out of your control. Um, wow, there are so many variables. I need a couple of D6s. Okay. I got a three. I got a one. Um, Do you need more? So, uh, maybe. When you hit under... Or, when you hit uh, under half of your total hit points, that is apparently the trigger. And what was the, the next one? A one? Yeah. Uh, the consequence is that you change your gender. And, oh my goodness. Yeah, this is huge. <laughs> so I get smarter. Um, but, hey, your words, not mine. Uh the duration of the change is freely determined by the judge, and it can be until another trigger comes, or for three days and three nights, or just roll the d6 days. And these changes should be a source of complication and hopefully fun, not about superpowers or rules discussion. I, okay, Jose, hmm. that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, one of one of the lower ones is uh, like Fei Tongue. You can only speak in rhymes. However, you can speak with any fey, spirit, or outsider. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, blessings and curses, right? Um, and Jeff, I think we totally agree that the most fleshed out one that we have here is from the Knights of the North. Yeah, um, this was cool. Aramadi said that Giles wrote this uh, curses and removal rights table, and it's uh, it's on, it's a D fourteen. And I would say roll uh, twice if you want. I don't think the uh, I don't know what the intent is if we're supposed to keep it. I got a five and a thirteen. So the curse, a ferric fever. So it's a minor curse. Uh, it carries a minus two luck penalty with it. It's similar to death's glance. Uh, which, oof, you lose two points from uh, any of your 
uh, physical stats there until it's lifted. Uh, except the curse can be brought on from the nearby dwelling of a source, a uh, dueling, sorry, of a sorcerer. It causes a magical penalty of two points to int perception or one point from each. And if an already cursed character is close to another spell duel, its duration is extended for a further D3 months. Oof. Oh, jeez. This one can be especially fun if the players begin to suspect it was the incautious actions of a party member that started it. And for 13, that would be how we remove it. Uh, sky's the limit of what a person would need to be offered to accept this two-edged curse. An old person with not too long to live might do a favor, or maybe if they feel they owed the player some sort of life debt. Go nuts mm. with this one is his advice. <laughs> uh, the the accursed must find a willing person to take on the curse. Okay. And then with the help of a spellcaster, typically a cleric, divine intervention or similar, the curse can be transferred to them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be read straight across the way it's split up into those two sections. Yeah, would have made it a little bit different there, but no. yeah. With the etheric fever, uh, the one straight across from that is that character must wear tinfoil around their head or <laughs> copper wires to drag along the ground uh, to get a will check to throw it off. <laughs> Perfect. And yeah, these are these are fun. They're they're a little. Some of them are lighthearted. Some of them are a little more serious. I mean, you you can get as deep into it as you want, or as light and fluffy but i think ultimately what i'm striving for is to make sure people know that it doesn't always have to be a spell doesn't always have to be a spell duel um i think you could actually curse somebody who's in the middle of a spell duel without getting in the middle of their phlogiston disturbance and if uh and they're they're great springboards to stuff as a judge but if you have that the beloved character who's dying and it's a good dramatic moment, you might offer to that disappointed player to whip out a curse with his dying breath and yes. drop that on the monster or even a party member who's done him wrong or her wrong, of course, or whatever. So too bad, right. too bad. I didn't think of that with uh, Brando Ironsides or whatever his name was. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Brank, yeah. Usually, as far as mechanics go, they involve a penalty to luck and other stats. Um, would you guys say they're usually used by spellcasters? Or can somebody with just kind of a, an odd background pull one out? Hmm. I feel like it should be kind of reserved for spellcasters and kind of like mystical kind of characters um, but sure, like if it's if 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 it makes sense in the story, go with it. Well, yeah, like Shutter Mountains, it, it can be pretty much universal. Like I think of how in Eyes of the Overworld, there's that scene where Kugel is cursed at the beach uh, for stealing that dude's thing from the ocean, um, and that guy wasn't like a spellcaster; he was just a guy who had like devoted his entire life to getting this one thing, and then Kugel comes along and just snatches it. Um, so I feel like if, you know, if, if the, the wrong is great enough, then I think anybody can do it. Yeah, that's, that, 
That's a really good way to put right. it. Right. You you have to be a spellcaster unless the universe aligns behind you in such a way. Yes. Right. Yeah, excellent that's point. Sort of, yeah, that is a really good way to put it. So that's probably a great place to leave it. Uh, feel free to email us at theband at spellburn.com. Leave us iTunes reviews, comment on the blog posts, uh, send us your bumpers, uh, find us on whatever your particular flavor of social media is, and game on, guys. You've been listening to Spellburn, copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.fancamp.com. And real quick, if this doesn't spook them by me moving around, look at the two of them having a total <coughs> kitty love fest. No bath time. Aww. Precious. I love that they <laughs> love each other. Yeah. Hmm. Kitty bump. I like it. <laughs>